0: As we go to prayer this morning, I'd like to read a couple of verses from Psalm 86. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and will glorify your name forever. For your loving kindness toward me is great, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Father, as we walk each day with you we know that as the scripture teaches us we are in a warfare and many times we may be discouraged depressed wounded and yet father you are always there to walk with us to strengthen us by your word and through your loving kindness and as we look at this book of ruth one of the main themes of the whole book is the loving kindness of the god of israel lord i pray that we will recognize that no matter how difficult our situation may be how we may feel at any moment your loving kindness is everlasting and your loving kindness is always toward us and that one day as we stand before the judgment seat of christ we will stand before the judge who loves us and has died for us and we look forward lord to that opportunity to know you and to meet you face to face Father, I pray that you will bless our study this morning, that your Spirit will be the one to inform our hearts and to enable us not only to be hearers of the Word, but doers also. I thank you for each one in this room and pray your specific blessing on each person here according to your divine will. In Christ's name, amen. If you'll turn to the second chapter of Ruth. Ruth chapter 2, I'd like to begin reading at verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight? that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner. And Boaz answered and said to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me, how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Last week we began looking at uh, this particular passage and we noted that Boaz had understood that Ruth was caring for his kinsman's wife, Naomi, and that as he asked his field foreman, who is this woman, and, and she was, he was told who she was, you'll notice that he did not say, well, go over and tell her this and the other thing. He went over personally to talk to her. And for us to really look at this in our democratic society, in fact, if you go back to the 18th century, you discover in the writings that went back and forth between well in europe and in america that many many europeans could not understand how the president of the united states or the leader of congress or the general of the army would actually talk to any old buddy in the street and listen to them and pay attention to what they had to say because in europe you didn't do that you know if you were of this rank you didn't hobnob with people of a lower rank and of course their opinion would have no value to you Uh, but here we have boaz who is a man of wealth a man of substance who not only is talking to a woman, but is talking to a woman who is a foreigner in the land. And, and this was just socially not normally done. And yet this man is demonstrating something of the godliness of his character in making this contact. And even though, of course, he does not at this moment think, ah, this is a woman, I should marry her and raise up. No, he wasn't thinking any of those thoughts, I don't believe at this point. And you'll notice he says to her, my daughter. And he gives her fatherly instruction. And I mentioned last time that uh, his reference to her as my daughter, I think, indicates the age difference between them. Uh, he was probably old enough to be her father. It's very interesting that in those days, God had provided gleaning as one of the means for social welfare, a social welfare system in which you maintained your integrity because you actually labored for what you got. But that social welfare system didn't always work perfectly and it was very, very common for the ladies particularly who went out into the field to try to glean to be abused by the people who were actually employed to work in the field and especially for the ladies to be uh, the object of derision and maybe even attack by the male workers uh, in the field. Particularly if they were a foreigner such as Ruth. But what we notice here is that Boaz offers to Ruth a very significant privilege. She had permission to drink from the same water jars that he provided for the workers who were laboring in the field. It was obvious that he was going out of his way for her. He was treating her in a way that was not common in that day for a landowner to treat a welfare-type person, especially who was not a native Israeli and she acknowledged this and in this passage we see that it we're told that he fell down she fell down at his feet and asked him I think with great emotion why have I found favor literally why have I found grace in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner she was very aware of the fact that she was a Moabitess she was not an Israelite This was not her land. Uh, She was unacquainted with the customs, unacquainted with the people, and yet she had been willing to come for Naomi's sake to undergo those types of prejudices. She well knew that women of her lowly status normally, at the very minimum, would be ignored by such a person as Boaz. And most of them would love to have been just ignored and at the maximum would probably have been abused because that was a very common practice. Now Boaz had not yet visited Naomi and therefore had not seen Ruth before, and yet he relates to her many things that he has already heard about Ruth. I have heard about how you came and and you've taken care. You left your mother and your father and your home, and you came to a foreign land, and you're here on behalf of Naomi, and you're doing this partly, the implication is, out of love for your husband and as well as Naomi herself. What this tells us is how rapidly news travels through small towns. And even though he had been informed certainly of part of this by the foreman of his crew, he already knew much of this from previous to this opportunity. He informed her that he knew very well of her sacrifices on the part of Naomi. In verse 12, we find that Boaz became a proclaimer of God's blessing upon Ruth. This godly man was prepared by God to be a channel of blessing, a channel of proclamation of a beautiful benediction. And I've mentioned this to you before, but I, I kind of visualize this kind of thing as what you and I are intended to be by the Lord we are intended to be channels of blessing conduits through which the love and the mercy and the grace of god flow into this society and the only way that can flow is if the conduit is kept clean and uh, this is of course the work of god's grace and our constant willingness to repent if we confess our sin he is faithful and just to cleanse us to forgive us and cleanse us the roto-rooter work as it were to keep the conduit open so that the blessing of God might flow through our lives into others. And so here, Boaz has been raised up by God to bless Ruth for what she had done. And he, he says these, may Yahweh reward your selfless work and your, may your wages be full or perfect from Yahweh, the Elohim of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. That's a beautiful metaphor And the metaphor seems to have at least some relationship back to the Song of Moses that's recorded in the 32nd chapter of Deuteronomy, where we read the words, Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, He, that is Yahweh, spread his wings and caught them. He carries them on his pinions. And it might seem that at least possibly from that metaphor that Boaz brought these words into his blessing upon Ruth. Because of her faith and her faithfulness, Ruth has proven herself to be a true spiritual descendant of Abraham. Thus, spiritually, she is no longer a Moabitess, but spiritually, she is an Israelite. And that is what he is, in effect, proclaiming upon her in this blessing. Boaz, I believe, was inspired by God to make this blessing. As a descendant of Judah, as an ancestor of David, and ultimately of Messiah, he proclaimed to Ruth that she was no longer a foreigner, but that she was a full member of the community of Yahweh. In thinking about that, this brought to my mind passages which I believe we've looked at before, but let me just turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 16, Paul here is talking about, of course, faith being reckoned to Abraham and righteousness, reconciliation. In verse 16 of Romans 4, For this reason it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace, in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all as it is written a father of many nations i have made you in the sight of him who believed whom he believed even god who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist the descendants not only those who are of the law but those who are of the faith of abraham in galatians chapter 3 we see that expanded a little further In Galatians 3, beginning at verse 6, Even so Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons and daughters of Abraham. And the Scripture, seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with abraham the believer it is my opinion that ruth by the faith that had she had developed or that had been placed in her heart by the lord over the years that she had been committed to the service of naomi or the months however long it was we don't know the duration of time possibly a couple of years anyway that as she witnessed the reality of faith in naomi and in the family of Elimelech, that the faith was born in her. And as she came to Israel to live in the land of Judah, that that faith blossomed. And here Boaz is, in effect, saying, you are actually no longer spiritually a Moabitess at all, because you have forsaken the gods of the Moabites, and you have come to live under the wings of the God of Israel. Therefore, you are adopted into the family of Israel and you have become, as it were, a descendant of Abraham. And I think that is every bit the reason why Ruth can become the mother of ultimately the ancestress of David and of Messiah, because she was drawn into the true line of Yahweh through faith. Faith was at work in the Old Testament, as faith is at work in the New Testament. It was through faith that Abraham came, to believe in God and to become God's person, just as you and I come through faith. Now, Boaz's words possibly could have evoked pride in Ruth. Oh, wow, look at what I am because of what I've done. But just the opposite was displayed. She was a woman of genuine humility and this was demonstrated by her great deference to Boaz. I don't think she deferred to Boaz simply because he was the landowner and, and he was an older male in the society. I think she deferred to him because he represented uh, the, the truth of the God of Israel as it had been proclaimed to her. She acknowledged that his grace and his comforting words had spoken to her heart. But she relates then, though, that she does not stand in a relationship that should deserve such favor because she said, I am not even as one of your maidservants. I'm not even as one of these workers out here who's sheathing the barley. I'm not even that worthy. I really am very distant from you because I am a Moabitess. I'm a foreigner. But he, of course, has proclaimed, in effect, that she was no longer a foreigner, at least in spirit reading on at verse 14 of Ruth 2. And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here, that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he served her roasted grain. And she ate and was satisfied with some left. When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servant, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not insult her. And also you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles, and leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. Most of you probably have heard of the book called Handfuls on Purpose. Well, this is of course where that comes from. Boaz ongoing concern for Ruth is clearly demonstrated as you go through this second chapter of the book of Ruth. Boaz is a very unusual man, and I think this, of course, is why he will become the father in the line of David and ultimately of Messiah. Not because he in himself was worthy, but because God had already prepared him to be the man that God wanted him to be at this moment in time. He found her demeanor, Ruth's demeanor towards him, to be totally in line with all that he'd heard. You see, he is now validating for himself what he'd heard about Ruth and her care for Naomi and her willingness to forsake all and to come to a foreign land just to serve this woman Naomi. He was very impressed because she demonstrated humility she demonstrated faith and she demonstrated faithfulness. Three of the prime characters of the Christian life. Personally I believe that to the degree that we demonstrate humility to the degree that we demonstrate faith and faithfulness, that's the degree to which we are really in submission to the Lord our God and to which Christ is truly the Lord of our lives. It's not our human nature to be that. I think I've mentioned this to you before, but uh, down at Simpson College Chapel many, many years ago, they used to have a banner that sat up in front of the chapel and the, the word was, Not I, but Christ. And they had a human being standing in the eye but Christ, in the human being standing in the sea of the Christ, you know. Not I, myself, alone, proud me, but the bowed, humble, serving person that is yielded to Christ. And that is, of course, what Boaz is, is doing here. He's, he's not acting as most landowners would act. He's demonstrating godly compassion in dealing with this young woman. To allay her suspicions... Concerning his motives, Boaz, I believe, explained at least to his foreman why he was doing what he was doing. Because this was not a normal thing for somebody to walk out and say, Hey, you know, uh, I appreciate you, and go over and drink of the water jar, and come and sit at lunch with us. You just didn't do this with gleaners. And uh, he wanted to make sure that everybody understood that his motives were totally above board. And so I believe he explained to the foreman why he was showing favor to Ruth. I think, however, probably most of his workers, having been accustomed to this man over the years, knew that he was a man of integrity and that whatever he did, his motives were right. I believe it was early afternoon, maybe at noon, when the meal was to be served or to be provided for the workers there in the barley field. And Boaz did the unusual again. He invited Ruth to come and sit with him and the workers and eat of the same food that was being provided for the workers. The meal consisted of, at least from what we can determine from this passage, of bread dipped in wine vinegar and of roasted kernels of grain, probably barley, since that was what they were harvesting at this particular time. Barley, of course, was not your finest of grains. Barley was the coarser grain that was grown in Israel. They grew a lot of it in Israel. They still grow barley in Israel today. Wheat is the finer grain, and and wheat was always worth at least twice as much as barley, and maybe at times even more. Uh, Barley was normally the kind of grain that was fed to the poor and was also fed to animals if animals had to be fed, uh, had to have supplemental feed, because barley's coarser. It is not as fine as wheat is. And yet, it was grown in large quantities, even as I said, it is today. So it was consumed, and and even is consumed by Boaz and the workers at this particular moment of time. Boaz urged her, Ruth, the gleaner, the person on welfare, to take of the bread which he had provided, and to dip it into the common vinegar with the rest of the people, including himself, and to partake. And then he offered her roasted barley... Some grains that had been roasted, he offered her uh, this barley, more even than she could eat. And in accordance with her character, what she couldn't eat, she saved and took home for Naomi. In her mind was always her thought going back to the one that she was caring for. Again, you see a reflection of the nature of Christ, even in this Old Testament Moabitus. When the meal was over, they all went back to work. I think it was out of earshot of Ruth that Boaz makes the comments that we read about in this, or the commands actually, they read about in this passage. When he instructed the women who were sheathing the grain, remember I mentioned to you last time that the men would go ahead and the men would be sickling or scything, depending on what equipment they had at the time, the grain, and the women would be following and they would be gathering up the grain, you know, the the stalks of grain and binding them together in sheaves and then leaving them in the field, and they would let her be collected as a cart would be drawn through the field to collect all these sheaves. And so they were moving through the field, harvesting in in this uh, particular manner. And so with the meal over and everybody going back to work, he went to the women of his crew, and he said to them that they were to allow Ruth to work right next to them, and they were not to insult her and not to chase her away. And that they were in addition to that, to actually leave some extra stalks of grain behind. Just just don't sheave it all, just leave a little of it flop out there on the ground beyond what would be normal. You know, obviously, they were in a hurry. the guys were really cutting this stuff down, so they didn't go around picking up every little stock that fell everywhere. They just gathered what they could. But they were she- to even allow extra to fall out and to be on the ground for Ruth to glean.: uh, you say, Brenner, huh? I believe not. I believe he's out of her earshot when he's doing this. I think he probably drew the ladies aside because I don't think he said this for her to hear. Well, you know, I can't prove this yeah. from here, but I don't think so. Otherwise, I think it would embarrass her. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, leave me a lot uh, extra. <laughs> just stick a sheave here and there with my name on it, you know. No, I, I think he was the kind of a man who would say, hey, just, just, just leave a little extra. Don't let her know, but, but leave a little extra. But I think Ruth quickly began to discover what's going on here because, well, there's a little bit more here than there has been <laughs> up to this moment. And I, you know, she's not a dumb, dumb lady, and, and pretty soon it begins, I think, to sink in that Boaz has ordered that more be left behind. And I think she's amazed by this. Uh, you know, Not really humiliated, but, but amazed that God, through Boaz, would do this. It is unlikely that she had ever met a man before of any age, of any nationality, (laughs) who had treated her as Boaz was treating her, given the difference in their position. He was a virtual stranger, and yet he was kind to her. Boaz was making a big impression on this young lady. I don't think he was intentionally trying to make any kind of romantic impression at this moment, but I think that was beginning to uh, take root in her mind. Verse 17, Ruth 2:17. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned. and It was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied of the roasted kernels of grain that Boaz had given her. Her mother-in-law then said to her, Where did you glean today, and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again Naomi said to her, The man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, Furthermore, He said to me, You shall stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids, lest others fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Ruth had gleaned all day, probably from little after sunrise, until the workers quit in the afternoon not too far before sunset. After she had gleaned the grain, she now had to thresh the grain. She had to get the grain off the stocks and out of the little packets in which the grain, the kernels of grain, grew. This, of course, is small-scale threshing. Small-scale threshing in those days was usually done by simply taking the grain the stalks into your hands, and going to a flat rock and whacking it on the rock to knock the grain loose, or if you happen to have a flail available to kind of whack the grain and and to knock the the kernels loose. That was what would happen on a small scale in which she was working. When she was finished, the scripture tells us that she had about an ephah of grain. That is about a half a bushel. It would come to a little less than a cubic foot, a cubic foot of grain. A cubic foot is hard for us you know, I can say a foot by a foot by a foot. It's hard for us to imagine the volume that is a cubic foot. Two point seven gallons. <laughs> no. <Close. laughs> not close. It's about seven and a half. About seven and a half. Yeah. And that's always been amazing to me because you know, you pick up a bottle of milk, you look at that bottle of milk, and say, eh, it's not too much small on a cubic foot. It's a lot smaller. <laughs> it takes seven and a half of them to fill up a cubic foot. You think, Whoa you know, that's a lot of grain. Normally gleaners wouldn't get an effa of grain for picking up what's left over out on the ground, working under the hot sun all day. So that's part of the amazement of Naomi. Where did you work today? You know, whoa. You know, she brought all this grain home. Certainly exhausted <laughs> Certainly exhausted, but very happy. Ruth returned to Bethlehem. Just before the gates closed, probably in the evening. After giving Naomi her gleanings and the extra grain that she had received from uh, Boaz, which he had given to her at lunch, Ruth excitedly told her about what happened. You know, this this man was so kind to me, and, and I'm sure that he ordered his maids to let extra grain fall to the ground, and I was allowed to eat with the crew, and I was allowed to drink from the water jars that were provided for the crew. Seeing how much Ruth had gleaned and hearing this incredible story, Naomi was truly amazed. And that's why she said, Well, who did you work for? What field were you in? Hmm, Boaz. I think that it's hard for us, just just reading through this passage, to really sense the emotion that is behind verse 20. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and (laughs) and even met her The very first day, as far as we know, that she is gleaning, she stumbles into his field and he happens to come out and he happens. Oh, yes, too much coincidence. Naomi understood that this was the loving kindness of the Lord. And what you discover in Naomi between the end of the first chapter of Ruth and the end of the second chapter of Ruth is a tremendous transition in this woman's heart and and countenance. In fact, you go to the early part of the second chapter, and after she's met all the relatives there uh, and friends that she had left behind 10 years before in in Bethlehem, it says she became depressed. She became depressed because she had gone out full and come back empty. And of course, as I mentioned to you, and a lady in that society, to have a husband and to have children, especially sons, was was, was to have the greatest gift you could possibly have. And to come back bereft of it all was to be absolutely devastated. And yet now she's beginning to see that God really had not forgotten her. And His loving kindness really is for everlasting. And she prayed a blessing on this man who had become the channel of God's loving kindness to her and to Ruth. What she does now is what we all ought to do. She credits she had credited God as the source of her sorrow. Remember? Back in the, second, in the first chapter, she said, and God has brought all this calamity upon me. But now he credits him as the source of her joy. If we blame God, we better also praise God for what he does. In the words of the commentator, John R. Reed, he makes this rather, I think, interesting comment. He says, her night of sorrow, with its fog of depression, had broken into the dawning of a new day of joy. She'd come out of this depression, and suddenly she realized, God really does love me. Naomi saw God's kindness as extending not only to the living, that is to her and and to Ruth, but also to the dead in that this man, Boaz, is Elimelech's relative, a kinsman. And so what he's doing is bringing honor to the name of Elimelech by doing this honorable thing on behalf of Elimelech's widow and on behalf of Elimelech's daughter-in-law. I believe it was with great emotion that Naomi informed Ruth who Boaz was. Boaz! Boaz! was one of our closest relatives, and as I mentioned to you there, the Hebrew word is usually rendered goel in uh, English uh, here, and uh, it it means kinsman-redeemer, someone who is a near relative who who has been raised up by God to redeem the situation on behalf of these people. Now, the concept of the kinsman-redeemer is one that's based back in Leviticus Chapter 25, the 25th chapter of Leviticus, beginning at verse 23. The land, moreover, shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine, and you are but aliens and sojourners with me. Thus, for every piece of your property, you are to provide for the redemption of the land. If a fellow countryman of yours becomes so poor he has to sell part of his property, then his nearest kinsman, the Goel, is to come and buy back what his relative has sold. And then down in verse 47, Now if the the means of the stranger or of a sojourner with you become sufficient, and a countryman of yours becomes so poor with regard to him as to sell himself to a stranger who is sojourning with you or to the descendants of a stranger's family, then he shall have redemption right after he has been sold one of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle or his son, uncle's son may redeem him or one of his blood relatives from the family from his family may redeem him or if he prospers he may redeem himself so the concept of redemption was built in to Israel from the very beginning physical redemption as well as spiritual redemption the one of course becomes a model of the other they were to understand that the land belonged to God. This is our Father's world, and the land of Israel belonged to God, and He gave it to them as long as they served Him obediently. And we've read the passages where He said that if you turn your back on Me, then you will lose the land, and the, the alien will come in, and you will be conquered, and you will be oppressed. And we saw that over and over again as we went through the bloody book of Judges. This, of course excited Naomi because she had felt that in order to survive, she was going to have to sell the land that had belonged to Elimelech because they were impoverished. They had come back with nothing from Moab. They were so impoverished that Ruth was actually having to avail herself of the welfare system and go out and glean. Therefore, if Boaz took sincere notice of them, which it appears he is beginning to do here, he might redeem the land so that it would not be alienated from Elimelech's posterity. In other words, if Boaz redeemed the land, it would stay in the family. It would not be dissipated away from the family of Elimelech. Naomi encouraged Ruth to follow Boaz's advice and to glean only in his field, staying near his maidens. I think Naomi clearly understood the threat that gleaners faced. And this is illustrated by her statement in verse 22, where she said, lest others fall upon you in another field. I think this serves to us as a reminder that the period of the judges was a particularly lawless period. It could happen at any time, of course. Note the parable of Jesus, where the man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers and was stripped naked and beat half to death. Well, that happened when Rome was in charge. Rome was the great empire of the whole Mediterranean basin. Never had the world known the peace that existed in the Pax Romana. When, when the seas were cleared of pirates and the highwaymen were cleared from the roads, and yet there still were murders, and there still were pirate attacks. And there still were all of this because no physical power can maintain absolute peace. And so during the time of the book of Judges, when there was even less authority, it was even more likely to occur. And so Ruth going out in any old field was, apparently she was young and apparently she was attractive. She would have been victim of who knows whom out there. And Naomi understood this. In verse 23, I think we have a summary there. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Well, barley harvest in Israel. Barley harvest in Israel generally began towards the end of what would be our month of March, maybe early April down in the lowlands, which would be in the coast and down in the Jordan Valley where it was warmer. But the higher you went in elevation, the more the barley was delayed in ripening. And so by the time you reach the elevation of Bethlehem, which is over 2,000 feet in elevation, while well, you're probably looking at uh, May. So she was there in May. She was out gleaning in the fields during the month of May. Usually the wheat harvest would come in about a month or so after the barley harvest which down at, again, at sea level would be May, June uh, period. Uh, Up in the mountains, it would be more likely June. And so we're looking at the months of May and June at least here, being summarized so far in the second chapter of the book of Ruth. She had to glean enough grain. Now, thinking ahead, because there was no reason for her to, at this point, think, well, you know, I'm going to marry Boaz and he's wealthy and so I don't have to worry about anything anymore. No, she was thinking ahead. We have to be able to provide for ourselves for the coming year. So I have to glean enough grain so that we can produce enough flour so that we can live until the barley comes in 11 months from now. Again. So Ruth had to glean the grain and had they, they together had to make it into flour in order to provide them with enough bread to survive until the following spring. So she was a busy lady. Every day, from dawn to dusk, she was out gleaning grain so that they would have a year's supply or nearly a year's supply of grain from which to live over the following period of time. Well, let me read the first few verses of the third chapter, and we will start looking at them next week. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter... Shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? And now, is not Boaz our kinsman, with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man, until he has finished eating and drinking. And it shall be, when he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. And she said to her, all that you say, I will do. She didn't say, oh, that's a dorky thing to do. <laughs> that's a dangerous thing to do. She just said, whatever you say, I will do. Which indicates, of course, the degree to which she trusted Naomi and the degree to which she was trusting in the God that Naomi also worshipped. Well, we'll look at the third chapter uh, beginning next Sunday.